You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Wow, we're all waiting for the Kyle Rittenhouse verdict. I believe it was clearly self-defense, and he should be totally and completely exonerated. But anything can happen with a jury trial. The tension is so thick, you could cut it with Jacob Blake's knife. Yeah, Jacob Blake, he had a knife in all of this thing. And they never tell you about that, do they? And I'm reminded of what Donald Trump said about the media. And actually... I don't understand how this could ever be seen as even remotely controversial. I called the fake news the enemy of the people, and they are. They are the enemy of the people. I'm talking about the fake news media. They are truly an enemy of the people. The fake news, enemy of the people. They really are. They are so bad. They hate it when I say it, but you know, honestly, they are the enemy of the people. When they lie, they are the enemy of the people. You are the enemy of the people. When I say the enemy of the people, when I say the fake news, when I say these things, I'm not kidding. Hey, I believe you. And I think you're right. I think he's right. He is right. Especially when you look at this uh, Jacob Blake case and what happened afterward. You know, they only showed you this video and it was such an easy story. White cops and a black suspect, seven bullets in the back. And then all hell broke loose because of the way they told the story, what they held back, what they didn't bother to ask. You saw the riots. We were already going through hell, literally, in the summer of 2020. And they added fuel to the fire by reporting so irresponsibly. Take a look. Officials in Kenosha, Wisconsin, are bracing for another night of protests following the police shooting of a black man over the weekend. 29-year-old Jacob Blake was shot in the back several times at close range by a white police officer. Kenosha police have released few details, but according to Blake's family, he was helping to de-escalate a domestic incident when police arrived. Seven shots could be heard. All right. You see, I mean, the way they tell it and what they're saying and what they're leaving out and what they don't know and what they should probably be quiet about, they all did it. This morning, another American city is rocked by outrage over the police shooting of a black man. It was all caught on video. This graphic video posted on Facebook shows the moment an encounter between Jacob Blake and Kenosha police quickly escalated. Screams rang out as police fired at least seven shots Sunday evening. Blake appears to have been shot in the back as he entered the driver's side of an SUV at gunpoint. His children were reportedly in the vehicle. It is unclear whether police... There's an old saying in uh, local television news, if it bleeds, it leads. Well, then national news started doing it, but here's the deal. If it bleeds, it can kill. This kind of irresponsible reporting has killed people. One more. 
Now to the other story breaking overnight. Unrest in another American city after the police-involved shooting of a black man. Now we want to warn you, some viewers may find this video disturbing. Police in Kenosha, Wisconsin say it happened after they responded to a domestic incident. Jacob Blake is seen getting into an SUV. One officer is seen holding Blake's shirt and then seven gunshots can be heard. Police have not said what led to the gunfire. You hear the, the hype the dramatization and the lack of facts and the lack of context. If only, if only they could wait, possibly. And why are they hyping race so much? Why are they hyping race? Well, ultimately, we did learn a lot more information about Jacob Blake and what happened inside the house he had just come out of. Now, even when those facts emerged, the fake news still tried to protect their beloved narrative. Jacob Blake is a 29-year-old black man who was shot seven times by a white officer in front of two of his children, leaving him partially paralyzed. I didn't want to be the next George Floyd. I didn't want to die. It was August 23rd, and Blake was at the house of LaQuisha Booker, the mother of three of his children. They were celebrating their son Israel's eighth birthday when an argument broke out between Booker and a neighbor. So I just wanted to get them. I wanted to leave. As Blake prepares to leave, Booker calls police. Emergency. Yes, um, I need an officer. Jacob Blake is here and he has the keys to a rental that I purchased that I need to take back and he's not trying to release it. Police respond to a, quote, family trouble. They're told there's a warrant for Blake on domestic violence offenses and sexual assault. What are you doing when they show up? At that time, I'm walking out. I hadn't done anything. Okay. Didn't do anything. Just ask them. Well, and they played just a portion of that 911 call, which, if you listen to it, it sounded like, wait, are they having a dispute with the rental car company or with each other? You can't tell. Why didn't they play just a little bit more of that 911 tape? Well, here it is. Jacob Blake is here and he has the keys to a rental that I purchased that I need to take back and he's not trying to release it. And on top of that, he's not supposed to be here. Today is his son's birthday, so I allow him to spend a couple hours with him, but he's not giving me the keys to this rental. And that's all I'm asking for. I never would have called you guys. I promise you I tried to keep from calling you guys. He's crashed numerous of my vehicles in the past, and I literally just bought one, like yesterday. And so just because he heard some false information, he's not willing to give me the keys to this car that doesn't even belong to me. Me and my sister just saw him skirt off in it and turn around and come back. So I need you guys to come in. I need these keys. Okay, what is your name? My name is LaQuisha Booker. Is Jacob there right now? Yes, and he's about, he's trying to kiss his kids so he can hurry up and leave. After he, he was here just talking all types of crazy. And now he's walking off now. Now he's getting ready to leave. Hey, that's important stuff. Talking all types of crazy. He has crashed numerous, numerous of her cars, and she just bought a new one. He's not even supposed to be there. And they really glossed over that warrant for his arrest and sexual assault. Just all glossed over. And even this, which did come out, it was, please don't dwell on this, but he said it. We see you, you walk away from the officers after they try to grab you. I'm rattled, you know. I realized I had dropped my knife, had a little pocket knife. So I picked it up after I got off of him because they tased me and I fell on top of him. 
with an open knife in hand that Blake says fell out of his pocket, he walks around the front of the vehicle towards the driver's side door. Well, if you look closely, you can see he has it in his hand. In his hand. Um, I think this is kind of significant. Uh, and again, it's glossed over or completely ignored. And what happens next kind of makes sense. A riot, a full-blown riot, which led to the uh, confrontation that Kyle Rittenhouse had with those three people who I believe wanted to kill him. Now, leaving information out, like the media always does, can lead to death and destruction. They've been doing it for a long time, just off the top of my head. Talked about this earlier, but Michael Brown, Ferguson, Missouri. Uh, they didn't want to talk about this, that he had just shoplifted, 14 years old, but he's pushing around that guy pretty seriously. How old was he, 14 or 16? That's a big kid. And he just ripped off a convenience store. Did you know that? I didn't know that for a long time. Uh, I do know we saw riots. I do know we saw riots when we heard that he was shot and he was innocent, but it turned out later that the Justice Department determined that he was trying to wrestle that gun uh, from Officer Darren Wilson. They leave that out because they just have this narrative, the narrative, the story. And there's another story about George Floyd, of course. George Floyd, now he should not have died that day, but they don't talk about the drugs that were in his system. They don't talk about this either, that he begged the cops to let him out of the back of the patrol car and they did. They were actually trying at first to make him more comfortable, to preserve his life. He seemed to be having a panic attack in the, in the back of the uh, police car. They also don't talk about this, that four of the officers uh, were there, but two of them were people of color, one black, one Asian. Now, is that important? I think it's relevant because this case has been cast in the starkest of racial terms, um, but that is relevant. And I think if the media did a better job at putting things in context, maybe slowing down a little bit, a little less sensationalism, we wouldn't have, we wouldn't be where we are right now in terms of race and so many other issues in America. And people do pay a serious price for this stuff, okay? The media, they make their money. The rest of us, we have to pick up the pieces, literally. Take a look at the summer of 2020. How many riots did we have? Or excuse me, peaceful protests? $552 billion in damage. Uh, fires, looting, you name it. We all saw it last year. And so much of it is from the media. Now, the media also, they give these folks a pass. If you lean left and riot and protest, riot, that's okay. That's a righteous cause. Do you remember before the November election, Trump versus Biden, they were putting up boards all over the place. What do you think they were for? They were for, if Trump won that night, they knew the left was going to go crazy. But that would have been okay. That would have been a, an appropriate reaction. And now they're getting ready once again for a riot, this time in Kenosha, Kenosha, Wisconsin. If Kyle Rittenhouse is found not guilty, and I believe personally, that he is not guilty, well, there could be violence uh, in Kenosha. Who's responsible for that? I think the media, I think the media have an awful lot of responsibility in this and the way they dishonestly portray just about every aspect of this case. And now they're getting ready for a riot. It may or may not happen. They got ready for a riot last January when they realized the Kenosha cops were not at fault. Take a look. 
Kenosha, Wisconsin, bracing for another potential wave of unrest after prosecutors announced no charges against Officer Rustin Chesky, who was accused of shooting a black man, Jacob Blake, in the back seven times, leaving him paralyzed. A state of emergency has been declared, and the National Guard is mobilizing to the Wisconsin city. They look like they're preparing for the worst. Concrete barriers now blocking streets in downtown, and 3,000 feet of protective fencing surround the county courthouse and other buildings. You know, the way they tell that story, you can't tell if they're getting ready for a deadly riot or a snowstorm. Again, when you lean left, it's okay. It's okay. So when Donald Trump says this uh, and people say, oh, we shouldn't have said that, no. Once again, he's absolutely right. I called the fake news the enemy of the people, and they are. They are the enemy of the people. I'm talking about the fake news media. They are truly an enemy of the people. The fake news, enemy of the people. They really are. They are so bad. They hate it when I say it, but you know, honestly, they are the enemy of the people. When they lie, they are the enemy of the people. You are the enemy of the people. When I say the enemy of the people, when I say the fake news, when I say these things, I'm not kidding. It makes more sense. It makes more sense now, doesn't it? At least to me. I'll be right back. Rob Carson, host of the Newsmax Daily Podcast. Tired of boring traditional news updates? How about one with a conservative point of view and it's actually funny? You can subscribe for free on the Apple Podcast app and it downloads directly to your smartphone so you can listen while driving, uh, to work, riding a bike, at the gym, or even while lobster fishing off the East Coast. Subscribe today with the Apple Podcast app or go to NewsmaxTV.com slash podcasts for other platforms. Something's coming. can say is, is that, that the fake, fake news just doesn't get it, do they? Um, all right. I, I'm not done with this yet. Enemy of the people? Look, again, people are like, how can you say that? And by the way, you're in the media. I'm not like them. I'm not like them. And um, these are my three favorite examples. I could come up with probably a thousand, but these are the most easy to prove and I think the most oft Told, can I say oft, often told, uh, lies that we hear from the media all the time. The Charlottesville one is a classic now. Donald Trump stood on national television and said there were very fine people on both sides when one side had Nazis. He uttered those six words, the most disgraceful words the president spoken in my lifetime. Very fine people on both sides. Calling these folks fine people is a load of crap. They're not fine people. He said there were, quote, some very fine people on both sides. Very fine people on both sides? These people, all, all of them, and a, 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 probably 600,000 just like them, they're the disgraceful liars. They are lying, each and every one of them, when they say President Trump said very fine people and that he was somehow talking about Nazis. He specifically said not Nazis and not Neo. Watch. You also had people that were very fine people on both sides. And you had people, and I'm not talking about the neo-Nazis and the white nationalists, because they should be condemned totally. But you had many people in that group other than neo-Nazis and white nationalists, okay? And the press has treated them 
absolutely unfairly. The media, the press, they should be condemned totally for how they have misportrayed this event millions of times, millions of times. It is so unfair, and they do it all the time. Incredible. Hey, how about this? Nicholas Sandman, remember him and his friends uh, from that high school, and they went to Washington, D.C., and they said that uh, they said awful things to that Indian, and all he did was stand there and smile. The horrible things they said about those kids. And what did they hate most about them? That they were Christians. Unbelievable. I'm never going to forget this stuff. I never can, and neither should you. Oh, by the way, uh, this might be the classic of them all. I want to be clear in how I characterize this. This is a, mostly a protest. Uh, it, is not, uh, it is not, generally speaking, unruly. <laughs> all right. This is a good review in my book, all right? Just to understand and remind ourselves how corrupt and dishonest they are, all right? You have to look at almost everything knowing that before you engage the media. I know you do, but it's a good refresher, in my opinion. Uh, like, for instance... Why haven't we heard more about Ashley Biden? Ashley Biden is the 41-year-old daughter of Joe Biden. You hear about Hunter a lot, uh, Bo too, rest in peace, but not Ashley. Well, Ashley may have issues. I'm sorry to say we all have issues, but Ashley wrote about hers. And well, now they're public. And thanks to Joe Biden, they've actually been confirmed that, that this is her. Uh, this is a page from her diary. Now, I noticed this last October. It was in a uh, a fairly obscure website, National File. No, no, no offense, National File, but a lot of folks weren't familiar with you. And this seemed like, well, we don't know what to do with it because it's just a page from a diary. And like Marsha Brady, I think the, the good thing to do is what Desi Arnaz Jr. did and return the diary. But um, now Joe Biden has made a federal case out of this. So at one point, we don't know, but James O'Keefe from Project Veritas they do interesting work, but uh, the FBI searched his house and his office looking for this diary. Did he ever have it? Who gave it to him? The FBI? A diary? Yeah, they got involved. Now, why did they get involved? Would they have gotten involved if he were a liberal? Uh, maybe, but I tend to doubt it. He's very conservative. And I talked about the interesting work. It's sometimes controversial. He loves to go after liberal institutions like CNN, with a hidden camera. I think I, I think we got him through this term. We would always show shots of him jogging. Him in aviator shades and like, a, like you paint him as a young geriatric. We were creating a story there that we didn't know anything about, you know, we were, so that's, that's, I think that's propaganda. Okay, those are CNN people bad-mouthing Joe Biden, bad-mouthing how they do business at CNN. Um, the left, they hate it. They hate that a conservative is using a hidden camera to catch them saying incriminating and embarrassing things about themselves and how they do business. Um, yeah, they really do hate it. Can we just have one second to talk about Project Veritas videos and how if I'm to give my media, satirical media criticism, it's like watching Ghost Adventures. All right. I don't know what he's talking about with Ghost Adventures, but they don't like it uh, <laughs> because they're going after the left. By the way, and they say, oh, hidden camera, that's a despicable thing to do. They do it all the time, and they've been doing it for decades. You know it. You've seen it before on the news. 
a special year-long marketplace investigation undercover inside nursing homes. The sassy answer to that question from attorney Mark Koplick in its hidden camera video. That brings us back to our hidden camera test with Stephanie and her SUV. We wanted to see if mechanics would try to take advantage of her over that so-called idiot light. Okay, so hidden cameras, they use it all the time. But if you're James O'Keefe and you're a conservative and you target liberal organizations and politicians, you might find your home searched and your office searched. That is so un-American and weird. Very, very odd. And Joe Biden, by the way, I blame him. The Justice Department, I don't think they would have done this had they not checked with him about his daughter's diary, right? Well, Joe, you just confirmed that the diary is legit. And if anybody wants to read it, they can find it online. Media are not actually complaining about James O'Keefe's treatment at all. They don't care because he's a conservative. Uh, and they don't like him for other reasons as well, but they should because <laughs> next time it could be them. Who knows what could happen? The only time I remember them really getting upset about any move against a reporter was Jim Acosta. Remember this weirdo uh, from CNN? Now, he refused to give up the microphone. He was trying to debate the president during a, uh, a press conference. It was very strange. Uh, they finally had to more or less wrestle that microphone away from him. And then... Again, <laughs> the mainstream media lost its mind when they dared the Trump administration to take his White House press pass away for a little while. The judge decided that Acosta should get his pass back because the White House denied him due process. They didn't give him any notice that his pass is going to be revoked or any chance to rebut the White House's reasoning for trying to take it away. It was such a big story. It wound up in federal court. It wasn't curtailing his freedom of speech. They said you can't show up at the White House when you're wrestling White House interns in front of the president. That's not appropriate. But they worked it out, and uh, Mr. Acosta came back. Talk about, this is so emblematic of the press, how self-important they are, right? Their egos. And who talks like this? The only person I remember talking quite like this is Sam Donaldson, full of himself, all the puffery. Take a look. I'm very grateful for what happened today and uh, grateful for my colleagues in the press uh, who stood by us through all of this. Uh, you know, this, this was a test and, uh, you know, I think we passed the test. Journalists need to know that in this country, uh, their First Amendment rights of freedom of the press uh, are sacred. Wow. So why don't you check in with Mr. O'Keefe, James O'Keefe, Where's the White House Correspondents Association or, I don't know, the Committee to Protect Journalists? Are they worried about Mr. O'Keefe right now, who just had his home and office raided by the FBI over the president, president's daughter's diary? This is insane, but it's actually happening, and it's disgraceful. I guess we shouldn't be surprised because we know the media are the enemy of the people. Something else that's on my mind that's gotten very little attention. There was a prominent police official here in New York City by the name of Ed Mullins. He was head of the Sergeant's Benevolent Association, um, a vocal critic of the mayor, of the president, President Biden. And uh, guess what? He used to tweet a lot, like everybody. Not everybody, but his tweets could be pretty Pretty intense, okay? Uh, really out there sometimes. But hey, didn't Jim Acosta just say freedom of speech is really, really important? 
Guess what? They raided his home, his office. The FBI did. They took everything away from this guy, uh, his possessions, of course, and also his job. He no longer works at the police department. He had to, he was essentially forced to leave. But there are people in this town who don't realize he wasn't arrested. He wasn't indicted. This is part of an investigation. I believe, actually, I know the mayor has a huge grudge against this guy because of his online activity and the stuff he said on Twitter. Uh, the federal government has been used to destroy his life. <laughs> and they don't even have the guts to bring a case. Will they? I don't know. But it's not supposed to work this way, right? I think you know the answer. We'll be right back. Real heroes. Real conflict. Real threats. Real heart. Now, there's a place America gets its news. No agenda. Just the facts. Newsmax. Real news for real people. The world's most exciting podcast. Home of borders, language, culture. And here he is, New York Times best-selling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. I'm Michael Savage. Host of the Savage Nation podcast, home of Borders, Language, and Culture. Hear my new podcast each week as I speak with top guests from around the world. Right now, we have over 700 shows in our library featuring interviews with world leaders, scientists, faith teachers, and more, including President Donald Trump, Prime Minister of Israel Ehud Barak, Edward Teller, the father of the hydrogen bomb, Jerry Falwell, and so much more conversations and commentary you cannot find anywhere else. Other guests have included Samuel Cohen, the father of the neutron bomb, Breitbart's Alex Marlowe, the great author Peter Schweitzer, Colonel Douglas McGregor. Be here or be nowhere. The Savage Nation Podcast. Catch the Michael Savage Podcast on all podcast platforms every Tuesday and every Friday. Who's the opposite? The subpoenas are still flying all over Washington, all over the country. <laughs> Dozens of these things so far. Uh, this whole thing is a sham, total sham. These people, I don't think any of them were actually on Capitol Hill. That tells you the committee doesn't really want the answers to what happened on that day. Uh, the latest uh, development in this case, you know, Steve Bannon is not co cooperating, but he's got a great lawyer on his side. That's David Schoen, who represented Donald Trump uh, during the second impeachment. Well, he was on fire yesterday, and so was Steve Bannon. Shortly after Bannon turned himself into the FBI, they came out and spoke out. The committee that was convened here was convened exclusively of people who have made prejudgments and announced them publicly. It's not equal justice under the law, Mr. Garland, to charge a matter like this criminally. The holder of the privilege in this case, executive privilege, invoked the privilege. Mr. Bannon is a layperson. When the privilege has been invoked by the purported holder of privilege, he has no choice but to withhold the document. Joe Biden ordered Merrick Garland to prosecute me from the White House lawn when he got off Marine One. And we're going to do, we're going to go on the offense. We're tired of playing defense. We're going to go on the offense on this. 
I love it. I love it. Good luck to Mr. Bannon. And he's in great hands with David Schoen. Uh, as for the rest of the January Sixers, I mean, those who have been arrested, some who were there, uh, gosh, their troubles, no end in sight, it seems. And I think they need help. All the help they can get, right? And there are ways to help them out. Uh, you know who's giving them a hard time now? The Secretary General of NATO, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. He sat down with the fake news today. Did he really have to say this? Well, he did. I'm wondering what you thought of the events of January 6th, when protesters stormed the capital of NATO's biggest ally. I regard that as an attack on the, on the core democratic institutions of the United States, and, and therefore also uh, on core values of uh, NATO. Core values on NATO. NATO, again, North Atlantic Treaty Organization, 70-year-old uh, military alliance. It's a big deal. But the whole essence of NATO is if you attack one country, you're essentially attacking all the countries. So he seems to be saying you're attacking all of NATO, all of NATO. Anybody associated with January 6th, this is all of NATO. How many countries? 25, something like that? Take a look. This union of 12 nations became known as the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, or more simply, NATO. They were sworn to stand together against aggression. An attack against one would be an attack against all. An attack against one is an attack against all. That's great for NATO, but the Secretary General saying that, it's, a, it's an assault on all of our values. The January Sixers have been treated so unfairly by this government. We don't need our NATO allies getting involved. Uh, 30 countries, by the way. Oh, the fake news guy who uh, interviewed him, his name is Swan. He also interviewed Trump uh, in 20 during the campaign. Now, the fake news loves this guy because, well, <laughs> he tried to make Trump look like a jerk by making faces at him. Take a look at these faces. I could not believe his behavior. So one time, I don't think Donald Trump was tough enough on the fake news. He should have thrown this guy out of the White House. He was gesticulating, playing to the camera, and uh, it was a disgrace. But that's what these guys do, trying to score points with their friends or with people they want who will ultimately possibly give them some sort of deal, a movie, a book, who knows what. But that's their key audience. Not the audience, not the people. One more thing. There is a Chinese dissident named Ai Weiwei. Uh, he was in prison in a uh, labor camp over there in China. Tax evasion charges. Look, he's very popular. He's an activist. And now he's uh, living a, a life of freedom in Portugal. So he's making the media rounds. And uh, he sat down on PBS. Listen to how it went. So do you see Donald Trump as an authoritarian? I, well, I don't, you know, he, if you're authoritarian, you have to have a system in supporting you. You cannot just be authoritarian by yourself. In the United States, with today's uh, condition, you can easily have an authoritarian. In many ways, you're already in the authoritarian state. You just don't know it. How so? Many things happen today in the U.S., this can be compared to cultural revolution in China. Like what? Like people trying to be unified in certain political correctness. That is very dangerous. Political correctness, unifying, very dangerous. The cultural revolution in China, 
They perfected cancel culture, and it is here. I'm so glad he said these things, and he did not take the bait, because Donald Trump, even though the fake news portrays him as an authoritarian, right? Trump the authoritarian? It looks like the president's angry Twitter tirade bullied the DOJ into submission. He's used the megaphone the presidency to expand and legitimize it, prompting warnings of creeping authoritarianism. Creeping authoritarianism, a move toward autocracy. Now that's a word we are increasingly seeing being tied to President Trump. You can see it in some of these headlines from the past week. Because the fake news overused it and misused it. They don't understand it. And just like our friend from China said, you need a system. You can't be one man and be an authoritarian. And the swamp was working against Trump big time. Now the swamp is working with Joe Biden. You know, Donald Trump is the opposite of an authoritarian, the opposite. He was frustrated by the system a lot, but he worked through it. This is not how an authoritarian speaks. And uh, I'll sign the final papers as soon as I get into the Oval Office. And we will have a national emergency, and we will then be sued, and they will sue us in the Ninth Circuit, uh, even though it shouldn't be there. And we will possibly get a bad ruling, and then we'll get another bad ruling, and then we'll end up in the Supreme Court, and hopefully we'll get a fair shake, and we'll win in the Supreme Court, just like the ban. They sued us in the Ninth Circuit, and we lost, and then we lost in the appellate division, and then we went to the Supreme Court, and we won. Authoritarians don't worry about uh, <laughs> the legalities of everything. They just do it. And I love this about him. I mean, he understood the process, and he fought. He fought, he fought, he fought. That's what the fake news will never understand. Everybody goes to Washington saying they'll fight. He actually did it. But that, that's not authoritarianism. That's trying to work through the system, however flawed it is. We'll be right back with the latest from Kenosha. A liberty-loving American takes on Washington, Hollywood, and the whole media establishment. He's Chris Salcedo. Join his fight. Tune in to The Chris Salcedo Show every weekday afternoon on Newsmax. All right. The jury finally has this uh, case. It's in the jury's hands right now. They are deliberating as we speak, uh, maybe wrapping up things pretty soon. Kyle Rittenhouse, how's this going to go? Look, I think the guy's innocent, um, but juries, you never know with juries. Um, it's getting tense, by the way, the waiting so tense you could cut the tension with Jacob Blake's knife for perhaps? All right, it's a little bit of a joke, but uh, I think it's warranted because so many things about this case have actually not been expressed that should have been expressed, namely this guy's criminal record and all the things that um, he did that the media did not talk about that brought on that riot to begin with. Joe Takapina joins us right now, criminal defense attorney um, uh, from the Takapina Law Firm. Welcome back, Joe. And Jonathan Gilliam, former FBI agent, former Navy SEAL, and author of the great book, Sheep No More. Joe, welcome back. Overall, your thoughts on uh, how this thing could go and how things have gone so far? Greg, listen, I've, I've tried over 100 jury trials, and I will tell you, it's like reading tea leaves. It really is. Um, you know, I've watched the case from what I've seen of it. They haven't proven their case. Um, I thought the prosecutor was was ineffective in his summation. I thought he was, you know, um, almost 
I don't want to say pathetic, but close to it in some of the things he did. The stunt with the gun, which is horrific that he did that in open courtroom. Um, you know, he has his finger on the trigger, okay? Yes, it's an, it's an unloaded gun, but anyone, and Jonathan will tell you, I'm sure, you, you don't point a gun at anyone and put your trigger, finger on a trigger um, unless you intend to kill that person. So, you know, what he was doing there and the way he mocked the actions that night. Look, that night was a tragedy all around. But he was he was so dismissive of everything that I, I don't think he he's gonna. But then again, what we don't know, Greg, and this is really important as a trialer again, having over 110 jury verdicts. What we don't know is what the jury looks like, and I don't mean their their physical composition. I mean how they're reacting to things. We don't know their facial expressions because that, to me, when I'm when I'm doing something like a summation or a cross examination, I'm sort of reading that jury, and I know if they're into what I'm doing or not into what I'm doing. If I have to make a you know on the fly adjustment, and here. We just don't know what that jury is doing. So here, the answer to your question is, this could be a conviction, although unlikely on the top count, but because they threw in a lot of those lesser included counts, which I thought, quite frankly, was dirty pool to do at the end. I mean, they've been saying yeah. all along this was an intentional murder to a hung jury. I mean, a hung jury is where the jurors can't decide unanimously, and then, you know, we're stuck with nothing. So if it's a hung jury or if he's acquitted, uh, there are could very well be violence in Kenosha and maybe in other cities across America, which is a terrible thing, but I believe it's been encouraged by, by the media. Uh, Jonathan, your sense as a security expert, how bad will it be? Or am I being too uh, pessimistic here? Maybe it won't be bad at all. No, I think it, I think it could be it be really bad. I think first of all, let me just say what Joe said is absolutely right. You know, uh, juries sit in front of trained attorneys who are trained in law, and the juries never go through anything. I've always thought there needs to be uh, a, a, a required uh, course in high school and in college called jury duty, so people could get at least <laughs> some training. But there's nothing like that, right? So when you look at that, what's occurring, we don't know what, right now, we don't know. Everybody you look at and ask, what do you think about that trial that watched it? They'll say, you know, he should he should get off on this whole thing, that he should, it should go in the favor of the defense. But we don't know about a jury. And what we do know that when it comes to riots and protests, because the left has actually told us this in an article that they did, I believe it was in Time Magazine, right after the elections, they can start a riot, a protest, or a rally, or a party anywhere in the United States in two hours with their infrastructure that they have. So really, it's going to come down to what the verdict is on here. I have no doubt that there will be uh, violence in the street if he gets acquitted. But th the fact is, it's not going to be sustained because the left doesn't know how to do that, but it will be violent. They could burn things down. Um, and they could take a real toll on this community. And that's a sad state of affairs when you have 12 people trying to make the right decision. And they know this. Yep. I'm sure they mm. know that. Right. You mentioned that Time Magazine story. You're right. It's a fascinating story, folks. Uh, we talked about it on the show. It's by Molly Ball, Time Magazine. Google it. And, yeah, they are very good at setting up riots. And uh, they would have rioted like crazy last November. Um, but, well, we know what happened. Uh, Joe, let me ask you this. You can't see the jury, but you can see the judge. And he's been a little uh, out there. Uh, you're the pro, though. Is this a good judge? Is this a crazy judge? What's going on with the judge? You know, I don't, I don't, I don't like his his look. He, I, when you see a judge smile, it's a good thing because it, it adds some humanity. When I see judges who are so meddling um, that interfere with the way trial lawyers try cases and they want to become the show, 
go back to Judge Ito and our friend OJ, right? I mean, you know, it, 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 they, they do a disservice to the jury system and to both sides of the fence right. here. Um, so this judge, you know, is trying, I think he's trying to be, you know, a nice guy and whatnot. I, I don't see him as being excessively um, um, hard on uh -huh. his words. But one thing I, I will tell you, I've never seen before in a trial. I was a prosecutor, yeah. Greg, as you know. I've never seen a judge admonish a prosecutor twice in one day. That is really telling about this prosecutor's actions. Uh, yeah, big time. Boy, oh boy. I liked him personally, but uh, I don't have to try a case before him. Uh, gentlemen, thank you so much. Uh, Joe Tacopino and Jonathan Gilliam. Joe Tacopino, we appreciate it. Jonathan, take care. We'll be right you back. Okay, take a look at this. The book is called Bad News, How Woke Media is Undermining Democracy. I like it already. <laughs> uh, it does look very good. It is receiving some interesting reviews, uh, a lot of coverage. Not everybody is comfortable with this in the woke media, but so far, and I just bought it online, by the way, uh, I'm excited about this. Batia Unger-Sargon is the author. She is also the Newsweek Deputy Opinion Editor. Uh, welcome, Batia. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. I'm doing great. How are you? You bet. You bet. Uh, I'm fine. How is the woke media undermining democracy? I've got my own <laughs> thoughts on this, but please go ahead. Well, what I argue in the book is that um, woke media, a media that's enthralled to a moral panic about race, that is not about the problems that we actually have, but is about the problems that affluent liberals wish we have, that, that woke media is actually just a smokescreen for class. I argue that over the course of the 20th century, American journalism underwent a status revolution to where journalists became part of the top 10% and abandoned the entire working class. And now they're really working overtime to deplatform them with this racial moral panic. And I argue that that's a danger to democracy because power has been concentrated in the hands of very, very few. Very, very few indeed. We're talking a handful of newsrooms who seem to be kind of dictating the culture. Let me ask you this. Uh, they've always, in my opinion, they've always leaned left. I mean, mm -hmm. they have for a long time. Absolutely. Uh, uh, but something has happened, and I think you bring this out in the book, that why now? Why the intensity now? What happened? Is it George Floyd? Is it something else? Why are they so self-conscious, by the way, that they're white? Because most of these people are, in fact, white. Well, and I want to stress again, when I say woke, I'm not talking about things like prison reform or police reform. Those are really important things. You know, when President Trump released 5,000 black men from prison under the First Step Act, he wasn't being woke. He was being a very good American, okay? When I say woke, what I mean is what happened in 2015, which is white liberals became more extreme in their views on race than black and Latino Americans. And I argue that they did so for economic reasons, because it really benefits them economically. Your question of why now is a great one. You're absolutely right that polling has shown that American journalists have always leaned left. They've always been liberals. They've always sort of see themselves as on the side of the little guy. But, you know, it used to be that a journalist would work for uh, somebody who hadn't gone to college, right? A journalist would work for a boss who was a Republican. There were counter veiling forces that would pull in the opposite direction of the journalist's liberalism, right? And so you had media that was down the center. Today, the pressures of digital media have really 
enabled journalists to lean into these crusades because in, in digital media, we measure success based on engagement. And the most extreme readers are always the most engaged. And so now you have all of liberal media catering to the same, you know, 6% of the population that identifies as progressives and the most extreme in that group. And because there's now a business rationale for catering to the extremes, you have everybody pulling in the same direction and no countervailing force pulling back to the center. Uh, totally brilliant and it totally makes sense. Hey, I've got a theory, I just want to buy you real quick. Something else is going on here. Uh, in the old days, like 15 years ago, if a reporter were covering a story, whatever that story was, the mayor making an announcement, a reporter would actually go there physically and have to listen and wait for the mayor to come out and think about, okay, what did he say last time? What's he gonna say this time? How do I advance the story? I feel like all these folks in the media now, they're clogged, their brains are clogged because they're looking at their phone all the time. You know, what did Trump say? What is going on uh, in uh, uh, Miramar? I mean, there's just so many things, so many distractions, and they're not as good at their job as they used to be. Is that fair? I think you're totally right that the sort of that the culture we live in that's funneled through social media is one that very much silos us and very much enables people to confirm their biases rather than challenging their biases as we're supposed to do as journalists. Yeah, but also they just they're not paying attention to what's in front of them. They always seem yeah. to want to be somewhere else. But look, I can't wait to read your book. And uh, it's so easy to get. I uh, got it just now, as I mentioned. And uh, bad news, how woke media is undermining democracy. Uh, this looks great. We appreciate it so much. All the best and uh, come back soon. Thank you so much for having me. All right, we'll be right back. Well, thank you very much. Uh, hey, let's see what happens with Rittenhouse. See you tomorrow. Stand by for Cinchfield.